you're listening to the City Lights Podcast, where we are equipping you to exalt Jesus and extend the kingdom of heaven right where you are. Thanks for joining us. This is your first time. We're going through uh, the book of Ephesians in a series that's called Inherit. And uh, I feel like we need to get to know each other a little bit better. I feel like I've known you for long enough that I need to confess to you I'm, I'm an Apple psycho. I, I, I have always loved Apple. I feel, like, I feel like they've betrayed me in some ways, so I'm not a blind loyalist anymore. But I'm an Apple advocate, I would say. I like to show people how to use their iPhone, what I would deem the correct way. Um, I love the Apple box when it comes in the mail. I mean, is there anything better than when you get that box and it's like, it's so sealed to perfection that when you take the top off and you're in and it says hello in in Japanese, like right when you turn on. There's like a plastic sheath that you pull off of it. And, and there's lots of things in this, in this phone, like, like Mary Lee, like, like I've had conversations with Mary Lee about, Mary Lee, let me help you use your phone to the fullest of, of extent. You know, I'm, I'm here to help, like... Jen, 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 just yesterday, uh, Griner, her and I were talking about Google Photos. You all use Google Photos? Got iPhone users. Google Photos. I'm going to have to talk to some of you guys. I'm going to go through this list, actually. That's what my intent is just to share some tips with you guys, because I don't think we know the depths of what this thing can do. Um, but Google Photos, if you all have ever lost a photo, it's because you don't have Google Photos. You, you have unlimited storage. It'll upload it automatically. It's on Wi-Fi. I should be getting paid for this. I don't get paid for this, but it's all your photos in one place, and you'll never lose them couple things you need to know about the iPhone. Did you know that uh, you can make boomerang videos right in the iPhone photos? I should know this. That's a rookie noob thing that I, I should have known this. I feel like I have a certain amount of depth. I'm not a PhD, but I'm definitely a master's degree, and I should have known that. Missed that one on the test. Did you know that you can scan receipts and documents right into your yellow pad notes? So any receipt that you have, if you ever lost a receipt, it's because you don't use it the iPhone in this way. Did you know that the 3D touch, by the way, the 3D touch in general should be used more. Can I advocate for that anymore? 3D touches, just skip the steps. You can just check your data usage right off of the 3D. You got to use that on your app. You're, hopefully I'm building some, some, some confidence here. Siri in general, why are we texting? Why are we typing with the thumbs? Way too hard. Just get in Siri. It'll mess you up and do weird things and maybe cause you to cuss sometimes on accident, but it's not, not a big deal unless you're a pastor. Um, the reader view, the eyes, like the little three lines on the top left on Safari. You press that, and everything's bigger and easier to read. I'm all about that. You can, I thought you used to have a QR code, like app. You don't need that anymore. Oh, that's totally new. You just take the picture. It takes you right to the website, the QR. You know the little funny things with the blob and the looks like an alien? Take a picture. It takes you to the website. How about this one? And heaven forbid you're in this situation, but if you're ever like in a bank robber situation, you can't get your phone out. I play these things out in my mind. Like I want to be prepared like a Boy Scout for all things. You just press the power off button five times and it, it calls 911. Don't do it now, but, but just press it five times and it'll give you that option. I, 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 I have an iPhone advocacy thing going on. Like I want people to know the iPhone. I like the settings. I'm like, why am I putting a picture of, you know, my ham sandwich, you know, on the cover screen of my phone? Like Steve Jobs when he created this phone, like created it out of like a masterpiece of art. Why am I, I'm not adding a mustache Mona Lisa. Like why would I change the setting on the iPhone? I want the iPhone to work the way it was designed. I think it's a genius uh, product. It, it's, it's something that has tons and tons of accessibility and power. It just, in my opinion, makes your life easier. And, and I bring that up because we're in this series called Ephesians and the, the writer of this letter uh, to the church of Ephesus, his name is Paul. And, and he's in prison 
when he writes this letter to this early church, and you see from the, 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 the writings of his, his letters that he's, he's not just telling his church or telling the church what it ought to be doing at any given time. It's that he's kind of stewarding and caring for the church the way that a, that a father would a family or at least the way that a friend would to a friend. And one of the things that you sort of see in the opening chapter, which we talked about this last week a little bit when we talk about the concept of inheritance, is just this kind of concern is that he's in prison and he doesn't necessarily even know the names and the faces of the people that he's writing to. He doesn't even know the people by name and distinctly the personalities, but he knows enough about people to know what to write when he writes the letter to the early church. Because, because in his experience, what he understands about being a human being and what he understands about the love of God and the power of God and what he understands about the human condition is that it's so easy to, to know about God but not truly know him. Is that, is that it's, it's quite possible, actually it's quite common, and we'll see it in the letter in some of the last remarks of Ephesians chapter 1 this morning. It's quite common to, to know the idea of, of inheritance, but not really know it. My Bible study leader used to say, to know it in your knower. Like to really know the inheritance of Jesus. To really know what he did on the cross, what it means for us. To theologically describe something, to believe it with your, with your mental assent, but not to really know it with your heart, with your soul, with all, with all your strength. And so he can write letters from prison and not know the names and the faces and know the condition they're in, almost as though he could write, the Holy Spirit could write through him and even be able to transcend not only space but time and speak to our, our theater this morning that he already knows. That Paul, through the Holy Spirit, gets this understanding and revelation like the church largely doesn't know the depths of all that Jesus is and Jesus has accomplished. There's a there's a great tragedy, right? That, that Jesus, the great, the, the lover of our soul, the one that knows us best and the one that loves us best, the one that hung the stars and put his, put his feet on the moon, that he died and he, and he was buried and he raised and he resurrected so that his Holy Spirit could, could fall on all flesh. And not only that, that the Holy Spirit could actually be indwelled into the life of a believer. And yet in 2018, Paul would know and the Holy Spirit would be prophesying even to Paul beyond space and time to know that, that in a room like this, there's so much more inheritance received, so much more inheritance given than, than there is received. We come into places like this and like, you'll see in the letter as we, as we read it a little bit further, he's like, the fullness of Christ is in this room. But yet, yet we walk a spiritual life of kind of neediness and powerlessness and faithlessness. Like in this room, in this room is, is the very truth and wisdom of God. It says in Ephesians 2 that the wisdom of heaven, like the bank account of heaven, the verb there is used, is lavishes upon his bride and his church. But yet day after day, the statistics in and outside of marriage or in and outside of church have the same statistics regarding family and, and abuse and neglect and in and outside of church, we, we don't see the difference of what that inheritance means. Is that inheritance given without inheritance received is almost like no inheritance at all. But the very, the very forgiveness, the very forgiveness of, of Jesus, the, the, the kind of shame and guilt that propels us to all corners of the earth at all times uh, of the day to frantically be looking for something urgently, to try and get something, that the power of forgiveness he preaches that there, it's not just a word, it's an actual spiritual, legal uh, application that, that we could 
understand and know the spiritual implications of forgiveness, but yet we walk in unforgiveness day in and day out. And so this is what he says. He admonishes the, the church, and starting in Ephesians 1, verse 15, he says it this way. He says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love for all of God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. So what Paul is saying here is that the people that he's writing to have faith. And not only some faith, but they have enough faith that it's matured into mutual love for others. Like as a pastor, as a youth pastor, as a teacher, as a person, like I understand that's a pretty big deal. Like it's one thing to accept Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior so I don't go to hell. It's another thing to actually have a faith that's blooming and blossoming so much I'm loving the one next to me better because of the way that I understand Jesus. Like that's a pretty big deal. But the ambition of Paul here is like, actually, that fruit that you have in your life of faith expressed in love, I'm actually going to pray for more because I know that even if you have a faith that can, can, can blossom and bloom in its time and actually offer love to others, that kind of faith might not have the kind of faith that I'm still praying for. And so it's not just that I'm thankful, it's I'm asking for more. This is what Paul says. It's I'm asking for something more than just, just faith that expresses itself in love. There's actually more to this thing. And I'm gonna not just teach you about it, actually you can sort of see that his best weapon of choice in, in the prison as he talks, about, talks to and prays for the church is I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to pray for you. It's the only one that can give it to you is God. The only one that, that can actually make this spiritual transaction happen is the Holy Spirit. And so he I, I says, I pray that you're going to get the spirit of wisdom and revelation that you would know him better. And then he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope in which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in all of his people. So you see the eyes of his heart statement, it's saying like, I don't want you to have a blind faith. Like a blind faith might be the beginning of your faith, but ultimately I want you to see the things you're believing. Because my faith, Paul is saying implicitly and telling his own story, is my faith is that I did have to trust things that I couldn't see, but now because I trust and I believe, I do see. And this is his admonition to us, is that, is that our faith can actually, can actually change the way we see things. We're not just surviving the things and circumstances that are coming towards us. They actually change with the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the way that we can interpret and understand and see things. And he says the way that that happens is actually not by getting glasses. It's about the enlightening of the heart. Romans 1 says that, that when we idolatry, like when, when, we, when we want something more than God, when we, when we get stuck on something like, like we like we desire it and, and, and maybe it's a thing or a person or a relationship. What Romans 1 says and what, what Paul is saying here is that when we want something more than God, it actually doesn't just affect our heart, it affects our eyes. Because humans are wired the same way. We all, we all don't really see what we see. We see what we want to see and we look for what we're shopping for. And, and what Paul is saying is that the heart can blind your eyes. You see with your heart, not your eyes. And so your heart... As it, as it becomes distracted, as it becomes worshipful towards other things, you're not going to be able to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He says this, I pray that you're going to be able to see two things. Well, actually, he says three things, but the first two he does a, a flyby, but that third point he really lands on, and that's what we're going to talk about this morning. He says two things. I want you to know, one, the hope of which you're called. Like, I want you to walk every day knowing that heaven's in front of you. I want you to understand you're not home. I want you to understand 
this is a temporary resting place. I want you to understand this is a means to an end in many respects. And then he says, I want you to know your inheritance, the stuff we talked about earlier. The hope of the world is in your heart. It's carried with the Holy Spirit, the power for the very hope of the world and the broken things we see on CNN every night. That's in you. We're not missing anything in this room. Everything that we need to walk like Jesus did and have what Jesus had is already in the room. The eyes of our heart are clouded. The wisdom and revelation is lacking. But he's saying, just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And so he's saying, I'm praying. I know that you have it. Like, I'm not asking for him to give you power. I'm asking you for to see that you already have it. I want you to see that this is the inheritance that can't be taken or given or earned or, or, or proven. But it's not just good enough that you have it. I want you to see it. This is his prayer. I want you to know it. I want you to feel it. But this is what he says. Out of all the three, this is the thing that he really preaches on. He says, I want you to see his power. And he gave one verse for for inheritance and and hope, but for the power verse, there's there's a poetic exclamation point at the end of this prayer. He says, the power that I'm talking about, because I want you to see it, I'm not just gonna theologically tell you, I'm gonna paint you a picture. So this is what he says. He says, I want you to see Jesus, the one who knows you best and loves you best, the one who hung the stars and put his feet on the moon and put his, his, his feet over all heavenly realms. He says, I want you to see him lifted up on the third day. Can you picture that with me? Church of 2018, church in Ephesus. Can you picture Jesus being lifted up? He sits, sits at the right hand of the Father, it says, far above every rule and authority and power and dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, He says, I want you to see this because it's going to change the way you see everything else if you can see him lifted up. I think some of the times we can more easily see Jesus as our friend, maybe even Jesus with the Father. But he says, I want you to see him as king. I want you to see him as above. I want you to see him as lifted up, as high and worthy and exalted. Not because he needs to do anything to prove it, but because This is what heaven and earth is proclaiming. He's seated above every name. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything in the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every every way. Paul says, I want you to see a lot of stuff and I'm gonna fly by it so I don't miss anything on the tour guide, but I really am gonna stop and I want you to walk around and understand his power. You've gotta understand the power that's in the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is sitting in you right now. That's blocked between the ears and often faded in the heart, but that power is no less powerful whether you acknowledge it or not. That power is in you, and it's not only in you, it is for you. You should know the power that is toward us is what he says in the saints. This is the inheritance that we receive in this room without earning, without buying, without striving. He wants you to know that the great kingdoms of the world, they come and go like Teslas are the things of dumps when you see them that high. Nike and Apple and these brands, they're they're coming and going. United States of America, the nation, these things that we consider powerful beacons of authority, they're pages in the story compared to him. So he does his best to do what he's trying to pray for us to see spiritually, to do it intellectually by showing a a comparison, a juxtaposition. He's like, all this stuff, just pick anything you want. It's all below him. It's all beneath his feet. There's nothing above his head and everything is beneath his feet, period. No exceptions. And he said that power is not only 
not only resurrected, it's not only in you, but it's for you. And the one who puts his feet on the moon sits on that authority, not just to have authority over Tesla and Nike and Adidas, but to have authority over lust and over loneliness and over depression and over anxiety and over uncertainty, over sin, over greed, over gossip. He put his feet on the moon so he could put his feet over your sin so that you would always have a Lord that was not only a lover, but a king over your, over your circumstance. And he lists all of the highest principalities. And he's a spiritual God who understands that spiritual always trumps the natural. We're going to get into that in Ephesians later on where it talks about spiritual warfare. But he's going above the heads of the CEOs and the great kings. He's going into the spiritual realm. He says, even that, he's, he hangs his feet above those things. This is what he needs you to know is that you don't just have a loving God. You have a strong God. You have a powerful God. The psalmist would say, there's two things that I know if I've understood God at all, is that you, oh God, are loving and you, oh God, are strong. You're undefeated. You're unequaled. There's no word that you whispered that's gone back void. Your arm is not too short to save. We serve a father and we serve a king. He's a good king. So I want to close today with, with just a couple of comments of, maybe you can relate to this, maybe not, but what happens when God's good but not powerful? What happens when the eyes of our heart are closed, when the, the spirit of wisdom and revelation is refused, and we see God as a friendly God but not an authoritative God, not a king of kings, not a lord of lords? What happens when we think that his, his words are sort of optional? Like maybe one buffet among others, you know, one, one item we could choose among other words. What, what happens when we pick and choose about the authoritative nature of, of Jesus? What's, what's that like? In my journal, I, I wrote this out this week. It's like, when I underestimate the power of God instantly and without delay, what happens is I overestimate the power of my sin. Instantly, without delay. And Jesus says things like, there's no temptation that he's not giving you a way out of. And rather, Paul says in Corinthians, but he, he, he says, like the tremors you feel when the addictions pull at you, when that old self, that flesh pull at you, when you don't know that Jesus is Lord, then any other power or authority or whim or emotion that's in your head, swimming in your head at any fleeting moment, that could be the greatest authority in your life. And what happens is, is that those tremors, they begin to preach a false doctrine to you and they tell you that those tremors are reminders that you are always stuck in your old life. That your body even wasn't made to live in freedom. But what would happen? What would happen if we were put on Paul's glasses and we for an instant think about the power of the resurrected Jesus, the resurrected Jesus that sits in you? What would happen? In my, in, in my story, in my understanding, as I reflected, what happens in me is that when I understand that Jesus isn't just beside me and, and, and before me, but he's above me, when I realize he's lifted up and exalted above every power and principality, I just recognize that those tremors of, 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 of addiction are just the flesh getting crucified with Christ. And I recognize that the process is that he's never lost any battle and he's not going to start with my sin. It's like C.S. Lewis says is that you know, if you're a predestination person or, or a free choice person, we're all headed down towards glory and good. 
We're all sticks scattered on a, on a waterfall, all heading downwards towards glory and good. We're not climbing an uphill battle. He is on the winning team. We know the end of the story, and he's victorious in every situation. So every item has to come into the courtroom of his lordship, and he will tell every item, I supersede you. That's what he says about your sin. And there's no chance we have, and you know it well as I, about our nature, and we we come up with excuses and rationalizations about why, oh, it's just me. I just have that personality. It's just my attitude. I was born with it. It's a genetic thing. We have a victim mentality, really. And Jesus says, I don't have any victims in my family because I'm victorious. And I won every battle that I've ever fought, and I'm not going to start losing to your sin. This is the cost. This is what could happen if we don't understand his power. His power is always working whether we let it or not. He's holding on to us. It's not that we're holding on to him. He sought us, remember? We didn't seek him first. But it does say that he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And if we were to understand his authority and come to him with the right posture, we would see totally different realities. The second one I thought of is that if we overestimate, excuse me, if we underestimate God's power, we'll overestimate our strength. When we overestimate our strength, when we underestimate God's strength and we try to replace it and mitigate it, we try to replace it for our strength, we're always in New Year's resolution mode. We're always in like, I just need a second chance. Like, I learned my lesson. I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to do better. And so I'm thankful, God, that you've forgiven my past, but I don't have an empowerment for the future. But then we realize it's just frustrating and a dangerous trap. Like, every second chance, right, turns into a third chance. And what we don't understand at the fourth chance and the fifth chance is we don't need chances. We need his power. We need to rely on his power. And what we're really doing is we're prolonging the window of time that we're not seeing breakthrough because we're not learning the vital lesson of relying on his power. Uncle Al's birthday is today. He's turning 70. Yesterday, we were on a text thread. He was at an inch of his life. Had an 80% blockage in, in, in the Widowmaker artery. And he was, he was getting surgery on the same day that Kyra's father passed away three years ago. And the doctor said it's a, it needs to be a miracle. Like, you know, you talk to doctors long enough, and what do you realize? Like, they don't know as much stuff as you'd hope they'd know. They don't have as much control as you think that they do. And it's just funny how all the other moments other than two days ago, you actually think you have control over your life, but you don't. Anything that you have and anything that you're doing, it's all because of him. Nothing happens without him. He's sovereign over it all. And we're hanging on by that thread of grace because he, he left it there, not because of us. It's moments like that that remind us. It's like 4th of July. I told some of you guys this, but the 4th of July, my kids almost got taken by this random guy that drove into the cul-de-sac. It's 10, 10 o'clock at night, just like any other night in a suburban street. And you think, oh, I picked the right neighborhood. I picked the right schools. I did the right thing. I trained the right kid. And then you find out exactly what you have and what you don't have in those situations. We're fooling ourselves when we think we have control. Paul preaches to us from his own story. He was knocked off his horse. He was blind, and it says scales fell off of his eyes. He preaches to us in Corinthians. He says, it's not your strength that makes you strong. It's your weakness. You're figuring out that God doesn't help those who help themselves. It's, it's, he's helping those who figure out they can't help themselves. And actually, he helps everybody. He just makes it, it makes it harder on us when we think that we can help ourselves. When we, when we overestimate the role of our strength and our power, we become loud we have to control every situation. We're not listeners. We're not learners. We're always talking. We always got to spin the narrative. We always have to control the truth. When we, when we think our strength matters, 
We have to stand up and vindicate ourselves when bad things are said against us because we have to own the courtroom and the common consensus around us. And what 20 and 30 and 40 years and maybe a couple of heart surgeries will tell you is that none of that stuff matters in the first place. But second of all, you can't really control it. Truth will speak on its own. You know that truth can be whispered and it's more powerful than a yelled lie? And the advice of, of us that are younger that are walking into this or are in this in the midst of it is that in five to 10 years, the truth tends to speak for itself in many ways. You don't have to be as loud as you, as you need to be because truth is on your, on your side. Truth is fighting for you. Jesus is truth. And it will convict you and tell you the things you're wrong on as well. And so you getting in the way of it and trying to spin it and talk about it and control it isn't as powerful as you think. The last one I'll leave you with today is that I think that when, when, we, when we underestimate the power of God, we overestimate our significance. Yeah. I had a pastor friend who used to call us God's little helpers. Not too far off. <laughs> like, like we... We see these gospel stories and they're inspiring, but sometimes I think we think we're the Jesus character when we're just the disciples. Like, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm so inspired, I'm gonna go into all these neighborhoods and just knock demons out of people. And there's great power, like we're gonna do greater things, but most of the time, like my life, if I don't know about yours, you might be further on down the path than me, but like I'm just here to bring the fish so he can multiply it. I'm not a superhero, I'm, I'm a fam, I'm a son, I'm a, I'm, you know, you're a daughter. And my role is just to play a part. Listen to this passage. I want us to, to, to take a look at this. You see this at the very end? In verse 23. 22, rather. This is what he says about the nature of power as it moves on the earth. It doesn't just kind of independently just kind of fall and land on people. It actually partners with people and namely partners with the church. And it says, And God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be the head over everything for the church. And I want you to catch this, verse 23. Which is his body? The fullness of him who dwells, excuse me, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. I want you to repeat after me. I've got to get this right before I get it wrong. I don't want y'all saying inerrant theological things. I want you to repeat after me. Everybody say, I'm filled with God, but I'm not his fullness. The church is his fullness. In other, words, in other words, you have everything you need in Christ, but you're not the whole puzzle. And when we think that I'm the fullness of God and I don't need the church to find and partner with his power, I step into a lot of independence and self-dependence and I step out of his power. Because a lot of the provision, a lot of the revelation, a lot of the things that Paul is praying for, we're not just going to find in a log cabin. We're finding with one another. And so what Paul is advocating here is that everywhere you see a Christian, they have they, they, they have everything that they need. They're full of Jesus. And as a matter of fact, it even says the rocks cry out and the creation sings of his glory and his praise. It's actually all full of him, but the only thing that can really fully represent him is when we're together. And so part of the application today is that it's not only he has power over my sin, and it's not only he has, he has power above and beyond my weaknesses and my strengths, but he has power in his church. Many times we're asking for his provision and he's giving us his church. Many times we think that what we need is to receive something, but actually this is what he says in Luke, and I want us to look at this as well. We think that the next thing that we need in his power is to receive, but he actually says in Luke, it's actually more powerful to see God's power while you give. Give and it will be given to you. Remember this? A good measure, the power that you need, the next step, the freedom, the grace, 
the side of it that meets you at the end of your rope. You'll find that when it's pressed down, shaken together, running over, and poured into your lap. Why? For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What he's saying is that sometimes the very provision that we need, he's calling us to give away so that we can receive it back. And in fact, like we're looking for connection and what he's saying and Luke is saying, give connection and see if it doesn't come back to you. Because the provision of the church is not just an independent sport. It's not just a one-on-one thing with me and Jesus. It's, it's the provision of God fully flowing from the head uninterrupted into the body. So this is my, my, closing, my closing prayer. If, if we were to receive this word from, from the Apostle Paul and ultimately the Holy Spirit, is that we would, we would find that all the riches of, of heaven itself, the very bank account of heaven, is handed before us. And we're not waiting on God to fall. We're, he's waiting on us to realize that the power of God in heaven is actually inside of us. Paul's prayer is not that we are added unto material things or spiritual things or, or, or waiting for something to get delivered. It's just realizing that it already has in Christ Jesus. And so what Paul's prayer is that we wouldn't be waiting for something that we already have or fighting for something that we already have, that we would come alive and awake to the reality that the Holy Spirit, the same one that hung, the one who knows us and loves us, who, 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 who elevated him into heaven, that's the same spirit that you raise your kids with. It's the same spirit that you struggle your sin with. That's the same spirit that you meet a stranger with. That's the same powerful spirit in not only this age, but all the ages to come. I'm going to invite the band to come forward, and I'm going to pray for us as we close. Um, Jesus, I thank you for just your Holy Spirit that's in this church, and I can see it. God, I thank you that we can see it, but I want to see it more. Thank you that I can see it in the testimonies of people that are changed. I've seen people change, and that's only because of your spirit. I've seen people be strong when they shouldn't be strong because of your spirit. I'm not just ethereally thinking about what it might be like. No, I see it because you've given me, and I believe you've given this church because of Paul's prayer, a spirit of wisdom and relation. I just ask for more of that, God, that we would see things from your perspective more and more, that we would not only have things, but know that we have them, not only have things in our head theologically to check the box, that we would know them in our knower, God, and thank you for this church. I just ask that you would give it us a continual just spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus' name. Would you stand as we close in worship? Thanks for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please subscribe and leave us feedback on our iTunes channel. For more information about our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. Thanks again for exalting Jesus with us.